This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless. I am your host on this post-mortem of the young, restless, and reformed. I am joined today by a deer slayer, Pastor Michael. Yeah, Michael, I did. I shot a deer. Uh, it was not a big one, but it was uh, exactly what I was looking for as far as meat for my family. So Matt and I actually were hunting together. Uh, and uh, I shot one, Matt saw two. I don't know, does that freak people out that listen to this maybe? I don't know. What kind of people do we have? Are they people that would think hunting is cool? Are they people that think that's kind of gross? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it felt like a good intro. We went hunting, and so I hope that y'all are okay with that. Uh, Otherwise, Matt, delete it. (laughs) (laughs) We will do our best. So today what we are going to discuss is we are going to discuss an important subject to New Calvinism and a subject that I think fits along with Winsome Winter where we are reaching out and we are explaining um, more and more subjects to a wider audience as we know our audience has continued to grow with more of the Driscoll content we're doing which we will uh, get back to the brand uh, next week. But today we want to discuss evangelicalism because we often talk about the young Calvinist movement being an evangelical movement. We call ourselves evangelicals. But at the end of this episode, I'm going to ask Pastor Michael if, after all of our discussion, if he's an evangelical, which is a thing I think a lot of people are are wondering these days. The, the definition seems to be uh, in question. There's other terms we also use that are really related we people talk about evangelical culture right this are the you know our discussions in the past of this being a christian nationalist culture that it's primarily a political thing we talk we'll talk a little bit about evangelical culture and the final thing is a term we use pretty frequently and we know what we mean um, but it might be helpful for our listeners if we describe what is big eva pastor michael how do you feel about venturing out Let's do it. Let's get into these evangelical waters. Um, even I'm actually uh, looking forward to this because uh, as I think about it, I I use the word in many different ways. And so uh, it will be interesting to to kind of dissect a little bit more and, and find out uh, where exactly you are taking us on this one. Yeah, I will do my best. I w- again, this is the this is the kind of subject that we could read. You could read. I mean, many academic works at this point on because of how much there really is to say. Uh, historians like Mark Knoll, who I'm sure Pastor Michael would be familiar with, uh, an older guy named David Bebbington, who we will get into, they've written a ton on these kinds of subjects. And so this is going to feel, it might feel somewhat cursory, but we hope that it can be an ongoing resource for people going, kind of what is an evangelical? How do how do they fit? How do we fit with them? And so... Let's start with where the the term, you know, kind of originated. The, the, the very far back, we'll go really far back and then we'll come kind of close to the present. The first way the term evangelical was really ever used was actually in German by Luther. Pastor Michael, you're nodding like you understand what we're describing. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of the, the historic root um, as it was used early on in the Reformation to distinguish a lot of what was going on there. Yeah, and because it, it, it roots itself in the word the evangel, yeah. which is obviously the the good news. Yep, yep. So the, you know, the 
the uh, idea of the Evangelion, right? This right. Uh, is this word that we speak of as the gospel or the good news. Uh, and so it became a distinguishing marker of those early on in the Reformation as those who were, you know, uh, uh, it it took on, you'll have to remind me, um, did it start off as, was Luther the first to use it or was it used against him? Do you remember? I believe... I'm, I think I'm just mixing it up with Protestant, because um, Protestant, I know, was used originally as like a slander, right? That, right. Uh, you know, and then it was just kind of, it stuck a little bit. Um, whereas this makes more sense that it would be something that Luther would come up as a term uh, for what they were doing, right? They're rediscovering the gospel. That's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're people of the gospel. Uh, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Right. And so, obviously, the kind of evangelicalism we are discussing is actually... Um, very, very different than what would have been what Luther meant when he used the term evangelical. We are discussing uh, a trend that if you want to go basically as far back as we could, it would be uh, the 17th century, but probably the 18th century religion in America revivals time. is is If we were to reach back into time and actually say where does evangelicalism kind of begin it's probably in that time period would you think when pastor michael you're not using the historical technical definition but if you think back growing up as an evangelical would you say that's a pretty fair like where we are going back to? yeah where did evangelicalism begin or something like that so um the the various ways that i was uh you know presented with evangelicalism often it uh, had roots in number one pietism, so which mm-hmm. did you know go back seventeenth century, yep. Uh, but seventeenth century, and then especially working through Lutheran churches, and then in you know uh, immigrant communities in the U.S. Um, and kind of spreading from there, and then also you have uh, the kind of uh, especially Baptist, but not exclusively Baptist movements coming out of uh, kind of you know some of the more revivalistic elements of the First Great Awakening, then especially the Second Great Awakening, and a lot of the uh, kind of of Baptist uh, revivalistic movements there. These things kind of converging actually um, together uh, to become what we now think of more so as modern day evangelicalism. So if we look at where David Bebbington, and he is a a historian uh, from Cambridge, and he wrote a number of the early books, historical books on evangelicalism. And he cites one of the things he cites a very early encounter of evangelicalism being during the first great awakening because the connection he is making is he says the dynamicism of the evangelical movement was possible only because of the inherence being assured of their salvation and so he describes the first great awakenings uh emphasis and discussion of the assurance of salvation as a major uh part of it Obviously, we have things like from the Second Great Awakening, where we start seeing very large churches in America. We see uh, a pretty ardent premillennialism that often is associated with evangelicalism. And so I would say if we're talking historically, that is where we begin to get what is evangelicalism. So David Bebbington wrote in a book called Evangelicalism in Modern Britain. Um, and he also describes this in America, Uh, he wrote this, what's called the Bebbington Quadrilateral. If you remember when we talked to Brad Vermeerlin 
about his book on the New Calvinism, he pulls from Bebbington's work to describe even what's going on in the New Calvinism. And so Bebbington describes four things he thought were essential for something to be described as part of the overall evangelical movement for the last 200 years. And here are the four things. He said, number one, biblicism, as in a particular regard to the Bible. So this is some, some idea of the Bible being the authority. Uh, crucocentrism, a focus on the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Conversionism, the belief that human ne beings need to be converted. And activism, the belief that the gospel needs to be expressed in effort. And that activism, it can include uh, care for the poor, these kinds of things, but also missions work. So Pastor Michael, when you look at this now nearly 50-year-old definition of evangelicalism, what do you think about that as a description of evangelical doctrine? Yeah, I mean, I've heard it very, uh, very many times put exactly this way, uh, no doubt using Bevington. Sometimes, you know, uh, actually, you know, talking about, you know, maybe directly quoting him, maybe mm -hmm. other times it's literally just, it's in the water, right? So that people just talk about it. Um, I, you know, for instance, I knew someone who uh, would say, uh, you know, I'm an evangelical because I'm all about the Bible and I'm all about the cross. Mm. You know, so like breaking yeah. it down that way, you know. Um, and so so that makes a lot of sense. Um, even just thinking about, you know, uh, the activism being primarily missionary work um, kind of flowing out of, uh, you know, a typical um, understanding of con uh, conversionism, right? So um, it makes sense that people that are uh, believing these things are going to uh, become a particular kind of activist. So um, anyway, it's just, it, it makes sense to me. It's what I've, you know, more or less always heard, at least as far as the more intellectual, kind of higher brow, this is, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about evangelicals, breaking it down that way. So the problem, this, we'll say this quadrilateral has come into under attack recently as a good definition of evangelicalism. I think because... In my mind, the biggest issue with these things are they're all very abstract. Mm -hmm. They're very abstract. They... Right. Yeah, because there's a way in which, I mean, even, you know, as we sit here and talk about it, I can think of, you know, historic uh, Reformed churches or, you know, um, some, you know, thinking about the First Great Awakening, for instance, and uh, the response to some of the things within the First Great Awakening that we could probably uh, connect to all four of these things. That was seen as problematic by some mm -hmm. of the more, in, you know, some of the institutional churches. And uh, you start to see some of the breakdown there. And obviously this, you know, grows um, in between the first and second great awakening. And, and uh, it's just, you know, some, a, a lot of these things are just taken for granted. Once you get around to the second great awakening, um, it's just like some of it's just assumed. Uh, but uh, when you're talking about like conversionism, it's like, well, obviously I want people to be converted. But this plays out in a very particular way a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. um, activism. Well, I want people to be active in their faith. I want Christians to be active in the world. Oh, but what exactly does that look like? That's going to be different, right? Mm -hmm. What does it look like to send missionaries? What it, you know, being all about the cross. Okay, great. Like I'm, you know, I I I feel like I'm, you know, very much about uh, Christ's work of atonement on the cross, uh, and also his, you know, resurrection and also his ascension and you know so much you know, more beyond that. So it really just depends, I guess, on how you, you know, are going right. to break these down. So that makes sense that you would, you would uh, say that it's, it's under some scrutiny anyway, for that reason. And what I will say is now this is not from 
Brad Vermerlin. So this is my own perspective on one of the big things that was happening in New Calvinism is, is it was looking at these kinds of distinctives of evangelicalism. There's a battle over how we're going to define them, how we're going to go forward. And these men place themselves in influential places. I think what they essentially were trying to do is to, we are going to become the definers of this quadrilateral. And or we might say they're going to add a few things to the quadrilateral. And what I think they decided they were going to add is if you listen to Ligon Duncan and Mark Dever in that interview we listened to, and Al Mohler, where they keep saying things like, where else are young evangelicals going to find someone teaching the traditional sexual ethic, the inerrancy of the Bible, expositional preaching, and, and big God? I think what they decided they were going to do is we are going to come to evangelicalism and we are going to lead it and we are going to make it explicitly inerrant. We are going to make it have a Calvinistic soteriology. And we are going to defend a traditional sexual ethic. I think that is one of the things they were attempting to do. To add within this framework. Yeah. And try and make these essential to evangelicalism. Yeah, absolutely. So, Pastor Michael, when you think of an evangelical church, when you think of uh evangelicalism do you think primarily in terms of these kinds of doctrines no so um i I was even i was saying this earlier that um you know as we started uh preparing for this and recording it i realized that you know i really use the term evangelical in very distinctly different Mm. ways uh and it depends on the context of the conversation that i'm in so um, I will sometimes use the term evangelical to talk about like, you know, us evangelicals, meaning basically some kind of like Bible believing Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Just like some kind of like baseline. Like I just believe some very basic, like I trust the Bible. I believe in Jesus. I've repented of my sins and trusted in him. And that like, that's, that's basically it. But like, like that is a distinctive, you know, in uh, our world. And so um, like, just sometimes I think about it like that. So like, okay, yeah, as evangelicals. I will speak in that language. Sometimes I use evangelical, and listen, I'm sorry out there for you who are, you know, uh, deeply in the evangelical world, but sometimes I use it as kind of like a a negative identifier. Hmm. Like, I'll say, like, oh, that's just like an evangelical. This is just what evangelicals do. And usually when I use it in that way, I've recognized that what I really mean is, uh, you know, a kind of church or faith that is uh, very... Um, emotionally driven and self-centered mm-hmm. or, or, you know, focused on kind of, you know, self-fulfillment in some way or something like that. And um, so I've used it that way or, you know, talking about like, you know, evangelical worship or, or something like that. I might, you know, use it in those terms to talk about this kind of hyper individualized understanding of worship in the Christian life. Um, and so like, I know that I've used it those ways. And I would also then add that probably I've started to use it sometimes within the political sphere, like as it's been used um, often as kind of a designation for particular political beliefs. I might not use it exactly how like a, you know, Washington Post would use it or something like that. Uh, But I do like tend to see it as like maybe I use it in this way. Maybe I would use it more as a cultural term rather than a term designating something about certain kinds of Christians. Put it that way. And this is what I think is very important. Maybe the second, we're going to go to the second layer of our understanding of evangelical is because I think 
and I'll ask Pastor Michael on a on that on those most basic levels of doctrine. This is why we would talk about us evangelicals, and perhaps we would say us conservative evangelicals, identifying with the fact that hey, whatever they were trying to throw in to that quadrilateral, we're with them on that too, right? We're like, yeah, you should call it inerrant traditional sexual ethics and stuff. But there's this second level, which is, I think, if we call the first one evangelical doctrine, this is the evangelicals. This is the cultural level. That is something that those four things do not make a culture. Now, the national association of evangelicals literally has those four things as basically their statement of beliefs, which is really interesting. But any evangelical church while those things, they, even if they were to say, yeah, these are the most important things to us, they're not the most common. They're not the most open. There are cultural things. And this is one thing I think is really striking. And maybe we'll talk about this movement in itself. Exvangelicals. Exvangelicals rarely begin by saying, you know what I stopped? You know what I started rejecting and decided I wasn't an evangelical anymore? Activism or the the authority of the bible or things now maybe the authority of the bible is one but but they actually start with cultural concerns mm. yeah so uh the there's cultural pressure in this particular area or like you know i have all of these you know gay friends or you know transgender friends and they have questions about their place in the church and that makes me question why you know why, uh, you know, are people saying that, you know, what they're doing isn't right and, and so on and so forth. And so it, it begins kind of taking you down that road or it's political, right? So it's, it's, well, you know, I don't like that, you know, evangelicalism is all about voting for Republicans. So right. I need to like stop doing that. And maybe that makes me not an evangelical. So now I'm an ex-evangelical because I'm, you know, moving this political direction, which usually is also then, you know, uh, connected to other things, obviously not. It's, it's never something they just do alone, but, but uh, yeah. So I see how you could say that there's definitely cultural issues that drive a lot of that kind of movement. So I'm going to share uh, two kinds of critiques of the quadrilateral. One from what we might describe as a a more a more reformed person looking at evangelical, saying, "Here's how I would actually define you," and then we're going to look at someone from perhaps on the left, and maybe Michael and I, if we we grew up in an in an evangelical church, if I we may throw out a few topics and say if we think there's a a pretty something that would seem like a consistent cultural outworking of evangelicalism, uh, because I think on none of these lists have I found premillennialism. Yeah, yeah, and that was so central, right? <laughs> that was that was unbelievably the central. rapture and return of Christ, right? That that was one of the best selling created one of the best selling book series of all time. Yeah. That was an evangelical phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. So, Pastor Michael, do you want to start with the from the left or from the right? Uh, let's let's go with the right first. Great. So this person described said we need to come up with a new quote unquote new quadrilateral, and so they're actually still kind of trying to work from what was presented there. But anyway, so they would say that one of the things that actually defines evangelicals is interdenominational activism. So we need to. Uh, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of some cause, we need to lay down all our inner our denominational distinctives, which is why you find people who will describe themselves as evangelicals in Baptists, uh, Methodists, Presbyterian, 
Now we have, like, we've literally, the even, and this is why I think this has a lot of uh, force on this one. The non-denominational um, movement that is an right. evangelical thing, right? We, right. We, are, we're, we need to disconnect from those so much. It's not we can just work with the churches around town. It's we need to lose denominations yeah. as evangelicals. Yeah, interesting, right? So the next one he said is a heightened belief in revival. So he's saying, they're not saying you all people need to be converted. There's, he's saying this is an... Conversion is a revivalistic experience. That there is an there is a focus on conversion as a experience. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where um, we talk about you know con- conversionism being an almost unhelpful term because how do you define it? I I want people to be converted. <laughs> you know, I mean, I right. want people to come to Christ. Um, however, in in evangelical circles, there is a very distinctive understanding of what it means to be converted, and it is. Uh, usually supposed to be this large experiential kind of a thing. Now, there are people in even the evangelical world that would obviously want to say, well, we want to get away from that or we want to push mm-hmm. against that or whatever. But generally speaking, that is that is the case. It needs yeah. to be this exciting experience. Uh, let me actually read the definition from the uh, National Association of Evangelicals. And I think they're, they're pretty close to this, that the belief that lives need to be trans- formed through a born-again experience and a lifelong process of following Jesus, right? They insert the word experience. We, I think you know you are in many ways an evangelical if your understanding of being born again was primarily in experiential terms. Yeah, it was a particular experience that I can remember, I can tell you about, I can explain what happened to me. Like that is what a conversion is. Right. And we're not saying that that can't be a conversion. Yeah, right. Absolutely. But the idea that that is yeah. a conversion or you right even in evangelism on campuses to to students who are from a more traditional background, why don't you just pray this kind of conversionary moment just to make sure, right? Yeah, like that right. that kind of we can kind of really guarantee it at that point. I would say that the next two are both related, but Again, none of these lists are perfect, but I think they help us shed light, right? It's called, an, they have an instrumental view of doctrine. So it's, we need doctrine that we'd call, a, that is applicable. Doctrine is interesting as far as it allows us to make some point or is applicable out in the world. Yeah, and so this would, I mean, this this is really just taking activism and making it a little bit more specific, right? So right. you're taking, doctrine is for the purpose of activism. Yes, yes. And this would be, for example, they would say why maybe the um, very technical or, or more the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of God is not going to get as much emphasis because that those are less like, I can go apply that to my marriage. Yep, right. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and let me just say, as far as we go, as far as that is true, that is a problem because knowing God is the is the ultimate purpose of right. doctrine. Yeah. That is the ultimate privilege we've been given. Yep. Not having a better marriage, but knowing God as he's revealed himself. And then the final one is, is this is why it's really related to it, is a de-emphasis on anything that is not soteriology. Hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense. Um, that, you know, I mean, if, you're, if your focus is uh, the cross and people converting, and if you want something that is, you know, uh, directly applicable to what you're trying to do, 
all you're going to be talking about is, okay, how do we get people saved? You right. know, like that's the, that's the focus. Right. Which, I mean, when we, when I think about, okay, if I, if I just try to work out the, the sermons and, and various like devotionals or anything like that, that, you know, I've heard over the years uh, within evangelical context, almost exclusively, mm-hmm. I would say, has to do with soteriology, almost exclusively, which is also why one of the, you know, primary, uh, like, you know, kind of controversies comes up uh, is Calvinism versus Arminianism, right? Like, that's the, that's one of the primary, like, this is our controversy. This is the big fight. Um, this is how you find out who you're t- dealing with, right? Who you're talking to, where they stand, are they a Calvinist or an Arminian? So that makes sense. So let's go. To, let's go to the left and see what they say. So here is a again. It's for everyone's kind of playing off the quadrilateral. Yeah, is the first one moralism enforcing moral convictions, uh, especially on a few select issues like abortion and homosexuality. Yeah, leave it to. <laughs> the left to just say it's all about that which you know now i do think there is some truth to this idea of a increased emphasis on uh well i just say sexual purity in general yeah oh yeah that's for sure and could i just say that maybe part of that is because maybe how i would define a lot of evangelical culture is very reactionary Mm. and so it's not it's not building its own thing really it's you know it's kind of reacting to the world around it in which case when you know you have a world that is quickly running into things like abortion and homosexuality or or other kinds of just like fornication and you know any kind of uh, uh, sexual promiscuity that you would have the reaction of like a, a you know maybe a, a strong purity culture or something mm-hmm. like that. Next, ethnocentrism, defending religious freedom and instituting informal civic religion of the United States of America, a form of Christianity that reflects white culture. Yeah, so this doesn't make any sense to me because the evangelical movement is huge outside of the U.S. It's huge in, like, you know, Hispanic populations and things like that. I mean, it's like when you're talking about, like, the growth of evangelical churches and denominations and movements, it's it's not like this right. purely, like, American thing. Although there is maybe a distinct American evangelicalism that, you know, when you think of, I don't know, there's, you know, what's that guy's name who does like the, like Republican services and stuff like that? Like, you know who I'm talking about yeah, down in yeah. Texas, big mega church guy. He has like, you know, it's like American flags and eagles all over. I, I, who am I talking about? Do you know? Oh, man. I can't, I can't remember his name. Help us out, you know, if you can think of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's always on like Fox News and stuff talking about the loss of faith in, mm-hmm. in America. But then you see like his church services and it's like, you know, it's literally just singing America songs and like, you, you just don't care about yeah. uh, what is actually biblical. So if you're talking about that kind of thing, there is a kind of civic religion that's developed out of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. But I would not necessarily like make that like one in the same. You right. know? Like I would, I would want to distinguish that a little bit from evangelicalism itself. Maybe that's like a, a part of it, but it's not definitive of it. Here's one thing I would say tends to be part of evangelicalism and people people really bristle at this and i'm i'm actually going to defend it right there were at the church i grew up in there were occasional voter guides handed out in upcoming elections that tended to say you should vote republican but what i'm but what i'm not really willing to hear and again i know there are crazy abuses of it i know there is a civic religion that is insane is no one i knew had now, other than maybe support for Israel because of dispensationalism, no one had a a super spiritual view of what we were of what they were doing in politics. It was 
well, I know the Republicans at least say they're against abortion, gay marriage, and uh, and a lot of them and they want say that they're Christian and right? say they're Christian and say they'll defend religious liberty. I don't really have most of the evangelicals I knew were not particularly political, more political than say their neighbors on the left or anyone else. They just knew this is kind of what we do. We vote this way because of these these issues that line up with Christianity that the other side will never come close to. And they didn't have a, it wasn't a controlling concern overall. Yeah, that's interesting. I, so I just can't think of any like pa- evangelical pastor that I've ever known that has made uh, politics like the big thing from the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know plenty <laughs> of like left-leaning evangelicals that make you know, everything about politics. But I don't know it the other way. And I'm sure it was that way at times. Right. I'm sure that that happened in some places. And I know that's the overarching concern. Um, and I do tend to think that there was a blurring of like, you know, well, to be an evangelical means to be a Republican at times. Um, but as far as like on the ground level, I can't think of a lot of like political activism that happened in the evangelical circles I was ever a part of. Right. Well, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hit these last two at you fast so we can move on to Big Eva. Um, authoritarianism. <laughs> Demanding an absolute commitment to those in authority as long as they preserve the moralistic and ethnocentric vision of America. This one, I'm sorry. I don't see it at all. If anything, evangelicals are almost anti-any authority. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is what I would say, um, to be very winsome about this, is that uh, where you could see this is in places, like we talk about this with like a Mars Hill and a Driscoll, Mm -hmm. like... Certain figures in evangelicalism, because there's no accountability system, there's no authority structure really set up. Yes. There are some men, uh, or even women probably, who can like find their way at the center of this and really take charge, really take power. And then they themselves can be very authoritarian and, and kind of even totalitarian in how they try to operate and run the church. However, that's... That's like very few cases, like as far as I'm concerned. Well, maybe not and, very few and, cases. And every time it happens, it's like tons of people leave, and and it's an allergy, and we all hate it, and yeah. we all we're gonna make podcasts to condemn it right. and talk about how bad it is. Yeah, that's right. So it's like I I can't think of like authoritarianism being within any of the evangelical like movements that I was ever a part of personally. So if what you're if what we might say is the structurelessness of evangelicals doctrine of the church allows for this the answer might be yes right yeah and even like you know at times is like it it leaves room for this kind of thing to happen like it it provides a situation where somebody who wants to do this can do it very easily Mm -hmm. however it does not seem like this is very common culturally on the ground level anyway and then the final one this person offers is consumerism enjoying Without interruption, their distinct brand of crossless consumer Christianity. One, it's not crossless. You, it's all crosses. It's all, <laughs> everything's cross. It's, it's all crosses. Again, I do but think there is right. There oh, is consumerism. Totally right. One hundred percent. Did you ever watch Bible Man? Right. I mean, come on. You know, hey, if you didn't watch Bible Man, there's another like live stream we have to do sometime. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. Man, that would be rough. Oh yeah. That would be brutal. Bible Man, for those of you who did not grow up in these contexts, is like a superhero guy who fights villains. 
by being like the Bible man, and he's got like the belt of truth. This is like real, like live action, live action. recorded. So these are real people doing this. Yep. And he's like a superhero that goes and fights some evil villain. I don't remember who or anything about it, except that it was Bible man. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say this. I'm going to go back to our episode, and I'm going to list this, and maybe we will do a a, a bonus sometime where I share as we've talked this through. I think this has been really helpful with the hallmarks of evangelicalism. I'm just going to grab a couple that I actually think we just haven't gotten yet is I think one thing that makes you an evangelical is if, because right, fundamentalist tends to be an insult in evangelical circles. And so what I think oftentimes it's, we agree with the fundamentalists on doctrine, inerrancy, all the kinds of things therefore, but not in how they practice it, not in how they present it. But we're nice. But we're nice, (laughs) right. So Pastor Michael, one thing that wasn't listed here is there, is there a distinctive kind of, belief about worship in evangelicals what do you think yeah so i don't know that there's a particular belief although we've we've discussed it in the past uh, when we discussed uh the the work that you did talking about different kinds of worship and yep. the regulative principle um but i do think that there is a a pretty clear um personal individual experiential element to worship yes. right so it's all about the personal individual interaction with whatever happens yes. I think that that is very clear, and I think that's why evangelical worship tends to turn over generationally, yep. because what is, what's driving the decisions being made are the personal and, yeah, the experiential things going on, and those things do turn over. The kinds of things that I personally experience and I prefer are very much tied to place and people, mm. and this is why, you know, this is why when evangelicals started they were holding a guitar but singing with hymn books and we're, and we're far from that now because that that's and i think that's an important point right you know there's things like the emphasis on personal testimony i think maybe the only other one i'll mention because we even already talked about them being nice people is i think that evangelicals tend to together i think because of the modernist fundamentalist controversies um and the ongoing liberal, I mean, theological liberalism is there is a allergy to anything that feels or looks like the traditional denominations, or we might call it the main line. I think there's maybe one other hallmark I don't think I've really heard that I, growing up in it, really thought probably, I didn't think there was an evangelical in a traditional Lutheran church or a traditional Wesleyan church. Now, I have I had very limited experience in other denominations, but that would be something I would add. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime you see, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe a more traditional church with a traditional liturgy, it was assumed this is a dead church. Yes. You know, because it doesn't have that personal experiential element um, and a lot of the other focuses that, you know, we've kind of talked about here. So the final piece of this I want to help is because people hear us say it. So I hope you're getting, a, I hope you're getting hooks for evangelical doctrine. What makes someone an evangelical or the things that go on in an evangelical, I think the final thing that you need to understand as the conversations about evangelicalism go on is what is big Eva? How do we use that term? Pastor Michael, we've used that term a good amount on our show. When you say big Eva, and and if you don't anymore, if you've if you've abandoned it, maybe you have, what 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 does it mean? How do you use that term? So uh 
I'm pretty sure, and I'm sure that you'll you'll uh, pull some of this up. I'm pretty sure the first time I ever heard the term was from Carl Truman, and he was talking. It might have even been when he's discussing uh, the problems of like uh, the YRR and like together for the gospel and these big conferences and things like that. Uh, but talking about this, uh, you know, uh, I know you're going to bring up this term too. I'm just going to use it because I think it helps make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we talk about Big Eva, we're talking about what has also been termed at times the evangelical industrial complex. So this idea that like, you know, there are all of these, you know, kind of uh, major players and institutions and publishers and and seminaries and big wigs in particular denominations and conferences and conference circuits then that all kind of work together. They're they're all like they're all interacting regularly. And so you have a kind of a development even without having a even without having like complete agreement on everything or, or something like that, you end up having this this very like closed system where there's very much a clear like an in and an out, right? There are those guys that are in and they're the guys that they write a book and you got 15 to 20 book endorsements from every other person in this circuit, even if it becomes clear that they probably did not read this book. Right. Uh, but they still endorse it. Why is it? It's because you're one of them, right? You're you're in the circles. You're in. You're you're part of Big Eva. You're part of the group. So I don't know. You can probably. Uh, that's that's what I'm referring to when I've ever used it. Uh, but you can probably yeah. uh, give us a better definition. I think that that is a pretty fair uh, description of it. Carl Truman just says it. It's his term, and now many people's term for the network of large evangelical organizations and conferences that hope to shape the thinking and strategy of American evangelical churches. And so oftentimes when we use it, and oftentimes when it is used, um, I actually think it's often viewed in somewhat of a derogatory way. But oh, it is, right. I mean, we, we use it in a very derogatory exactly. way. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah. Right? When it's just a group of people seeking to shape evangelical thinking in many ways you could say our podcast right. is doing that on yeah. a tiny non-big at <laughs> every oh come on don't play us down industrial level we're changing the business we're changing it all <laughs> but that's what it is and i and so the people who i think bristle at this term know it is being used to criticize them and so that's carl truman's term i think the two other ways you might hear it uh you might hear it described is yes the evangelical industrial complex which most people credit to the the lutheran discernment guy chris roseborough right a network of christian media published words and ministry partners which rely on each other for promotion book deals conferences networking income right and then the third one which uh, i haven't heard as much recently but calling it the evangelical intelligentsia which actually is rooted in a study that was actually done at Boston College a while ago uh, and was used by Pulpit and Pen, which is probably why we can't use that one in polite company anymore. But Pastor Michael, why does this third term... So sometimes I think when people say evangelicals, they actually mean this group of people. Because they're kind of the movers and shakers. They're the guys on top. Right, that's why this is being included in this show. Why does this term and understanding what this term kind of matter? That's a good question. Um, so I, I guess it, it simply comes down to like when you're talking about like kind of the elites within this movement, um, they are the ones that are really defined. I mean, the, the books that people read 
are books written by these people. You know, I mean, the, the, the movers and shakers, the people on top. And so, in other words, the, the primary uh, elements of what any given evangelical believes is probably going to be massively influenced by these authors and speakers and pastors and, you know, uh, seminary professors and whatever else, you know, whoever else we want to include in here. Um, it's going to be influenced by those people. They're, mm -hmm. They are the voices for the movement, put it that way. Yeah. So one more thing, one more quote from Carl Truman here. Big Eva, it, it's to repeat one of my mantras, Big Eva is built around big conferences and big personalities. Neither need be problematic. I have enjoyed the occasional big conference and have profited from books by big names. What is problematic is that some of these conferences and their co-contaminant celebrities have intentional significance beyond offering a time of some fellowship and good teething. It's a populist extra it's a populist extra ecclesiastical game. It's building momentum via conferences, networks and its own stable celebrities and if there's Part of it's going bad. Big Eva responds, as it usually does, with an alternative conference or some blog posts or yet another statement or petition uh, where the boundaries will be more sharply drawn, right? That this is what Carl Truman is seeing as big evangelicals. Yeah, really interesting. We love that guy. We, we got to try to get him on sometime. We'll work on it. Yeah. I, I do think, again, that it's this this extra ecclesiastical game, which is a very evangelical thing and here is in most recent years if you want to know quite honestly why people bristle at this term it's because what nobody likes is the big evangelicalism or big eva is criticized for the way it's trying to shape people's minds and that that nobody wants to be you know on the on the wrong side of that because usually when big eva is mentioned it's Hey, we, someone, someone out in flyover country like us are noticing a way that a group of people with influence who are promoting each other and, and making it sound like a consensus are trying to shape the thinking. What also makes it problematic a lot of times is that it's because there's no like distinct authority structure or accountability system. Um, you have guys who will, you know, write books, get all the endorsements, they'll have the blog on TGC or wherever. Um, you know, so think of like a Tulin Chavidian. Uh, it, I don't know that I said his name right. What, who knows how to say the name? If you know, <laughs> go ahead and write in. But uh, like a guy like this who like, you know, he uh, is well accepted in these circles and then and gets all the endorsements and everything and then starts teaching very false doctrine. And there's just like a slow like, well, we'll just kind of push him off to the side. But there's no like direct like authority structure within this movement that would say, hey, we can't believe that stuff. We don't want to like hold to those things. Maybe individual authors or blogs or something like that, but there is no definitive, hey, this is what we believe, this is what we don't believe. Um, it's all based on those personalities. And then there's nobody to take accountability when things go bad. There's nobody who is like, all right, well, I guess I lost my job because I platformed this guy who turns out to be a total whack job, you know? Right, right. And so it's this, it's this, and it, it and it's even and it's more than that. It is a it's a protectionistic uh, system. Uh, Truman in another post he calls it a a fiefdom. Big Eva runs like a personal fiefdom of a few. 
even though many decent people are involved at very mastheads are unaware of this. But the but the to cross the few or touch their dogmatic golden calves, you can expect the fight back to be dirty, relentless, and increasingly dangerous, largely hidden from the watching. Wow, world. yeah, like you're totally shut out because you've called out certain things. And this, which, by the way, is not what we're doing. So if you would like to publish a book from Restless, sometime, that's right. We're just we're just explaining what other people think. That's <laughs> that's right, right. We are we are not touching any of the golden calves Crossway might have if they want to publish anything <laughs> yes. we ever write. But what but right what it's saying is there is a goal for people to be brought. You, to get your book, to get notoriety, you are brought into the big evangelical circle, which is then becomes your credence. How do you know I'm orthodox? I'm with these people. I'm with yeah, them. That's what we've talked about in the past, right? Like these, these big names become the standard of orthodoxy. And then there is suspicion on those criticizing the orthodox, the big Eva, the, the, this, and it becomes this defend, defending, promoting, and shaping thing. And what people in in the in the pews, I might say, or online are recognizing are recognizing what it seems people are recognizing at every level of American society. That there is a disconnect from the elite and everyone else. And there may even be an overproduction of elites at this point. This and that this is a divide that is being felt. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think this is a really helpful way to look at it. Um, and, you know, maybe it's one of those terms that is not the most well-defined, mm -hmm. but I think like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, maybe we can't come up with like a paragraph exact definition, like, and what all is included in this, but you know it when you see it, you right. know, you, you know exactly what we're talking about when you see it. Right. So one of the things as we uh, start to draw this to a close that I think we should stress is that you know, we've kind of gone through various different definitions and even said we use terms like Big Eva, for instance, in maybe a more negative way um, and sometimes use evangelical in a more negative way. Uh, but this in no way means that we are uh, trying to cast shade on the faithful evangelicals and the faithful evangelical churches and, and pastors and people that have shaped us and formed us and helped us. Um, even though uh, what... I would say, based on especially our later definitions here of evangelical, if we're just talking about the quadrilateral, um, I, you know, I would probably be able to say, yeah, I'm an evangelical. Um, with some of these later definitions, I would have to say that probably there's at least some way in which I am not an evangelical. Hmm. You know, I like I'm not I'm not uh, totally on with a lot of this anymore, and uh, that you know that has changed. Um, though again, like the normal way that a lot of people I know use it. Like, hey, I'm just a Bible-believing Christian. Yeah, me right. too. You know, we're, we're evangelicals then. Um, but uh, even though I don't think that I would term myself an evangelical any longer, like that's not how I would, that's not how I define what I believe uh, to most people, um, unless you have this kind of context, you know. Uh, but I, I'm so grateful mm. for uh, those evangelical ministers and ministries that have uh, shaped me, for me, um, and and really want to make that clear. And in fact, I think we should do a whole episode on on how that can be the case. Yes, I think this the reason you are thankful for this is actually the precise reason this gets so much attention. Why do people focus on Big Eva? Why does the media? Why is the media trying to write about 
evangelicals. I was reading, it might have been on a tweet thread of a guy in academia saying that all of the professors, all of these atheistic professors in the religious studies department are were raised in evangelical churches and are now constantly trying to reprocess everything they experienced through it. Why is that? Because he basically said this is the power of evangelical religion. And why does evangelical religion have power? You know, some people might say it has, right? People are obviously saying it has power from ethnocentrism or sociological perspectives or a certain amount of, we even describe Big Eva having a certain amount of wealth, influence, and power. But that is not the power of evangelical religion that we should all be grateful for. The power of evangelical religion is that for whatever you like or don't like about these people, these people, help, these churches held to the gospel and the word of God in a time where people were being offered many other alternatives. Yeah. And those people are gone and the evangelicals are still here to be criticized or praised or have power or have money. And that is an unquestionably powerful thing because it's the power of the gospel. It is the power of Jesus, which is what in the end, they probably would want to be known for anyways. That's right. Thanks for listening to us discuss evangelicalism, evangelicals, and Big Eva, Pastor Michael. We did it. Uh, hope that it was helpful and that you uh, enjoyed it. If you have your own definition of evangelical that you want to share, please send it our way. We'll try to uh, you know work through some of those if you've got some. 